If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 692. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Why are there? Give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook. Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours. Truly, support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. Always free to enroll. Get the free class, 10 Myths of American History, when you do enroll. And purchase one or 20 of my courses there. It'll keep this podcast free of charge, and you get great content. You can also support the show by clicking on the support tab at brianmclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way. If you're watching on YouTube, click on the little super thanks button under the video. You can throw a few pennies my way that way. Well, of course, you can also click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com, get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Lots of great ways to support the show financially. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a five-star review. Comment on YouTube. That helps the algorithm. Let people know you love the show. And send me those show requests. One listener asks, how do we do it? Well, you go to my webpage, and then you click on contact, and that's how you send me a show request. That's I read them. I don't always respond, but I do read them. So that's how you keep in contact with me. All right, well, let's talk about the topic of the day. Wrapping up the week, we're going to talk about the 2022 election. And I like to do these, right? We got the quote-unquote midterms coming up. I'm always fascinated by that term midterms because it essentially capitulates to the executive nature of American government. The only important election is the presidential election. And every two years, we have the midterms because we're just worried about the presidential election. In reality, the that election is more important than the presidential election, at least it should be. And of course, we have a lot of other elections going on in 2022, governors, state legislatures. All of these things are important, more important than the presidency. But we know with executive government, and we've seen it just this week with, uh, with Joe Biden and the use of executive power with student loans, for example, we know essentially that what Americans want is not just executive government, but monarchical government. They want the president to go in and simply with the swish of a pen, change policy in America. And this doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican. That's what you want. You want the president to act as a monarch, as a king. And we treat the presidents this way. Now, we're also seeing it, of course, with the situation with Trump and what's happening with the FBI and all the documents they seized. According to the information now, Trump is uh, was trying to hide behind uh, executive privilege for for a while, and Biden blew that out of the water. Biden is the one who essentially said, "No, I'm not going to support this. You got to go and get these documents." So, we have a very interesting situation developing between the current administration and the previous administration over executive privilege and power. This is unheard of. I mean, we've had some similar situations in American history, but not to this extent. And I think the the only time you could kind of compare that we had this much uh, animosity and antagonism between the outgoing administration and the new administration was maybe 1801 when you had Jefferson coming in and Adams leaving. But Jefferson 
didn't really go after Adams and the Adams people the way that the Biden people are going after Trump and the outgoing party. I think this is really unheard of in American history. You just don't see it. Uh, you haven't seen it like this. This is why people are sounding alarm bells over this, because we've politicized everything. Now we're politicizing the Justice Department. And, and I mean, this is, this is dangerous for anybody in America, whether you're on the left or the right, because if your team is not in control, well, the other team is going to come after you. And this is what people have always worried about. It's what arbitrary power does. It's something I've talked about on this podcast before. but And, of course, also in the Founding Fathers' Guide to the Constitution and other places, McClanahan Academy, I've talked about these things. But I want to talk about the 2022 election. You see, Joe Biden is so is so reviled. I mean, Democrats won't even campaign with the guy right now. It's not saying that he won't go out and campaign. It seems that Biden might be gaining a little political capital. He's trying to buy votes with the student loan situation. as patronage, and we've seen this before. Uh, but there might be a chance that Biden goes out and campaigns with people, though I don't know how much of a help he would be. But what we're seeing in 2022, at least it was thought, we were going to see the Republicans completely trounce the Democrats in the 2022 election. They were going to take control of the House, they were going to take control of the Senate, and they were going to thwart Biden's agenda. So the Democrats were putting on the full court press trying to get their complete legislative program through before the Republicans could take back control of Congress. Now, the spin on the media right now is that this is going to be a disaster for the Republicans. They aren't going to take back the Senate. They aren't going to take back the House now. That There's, a, there's warning signs that the Republicans won't take back the House or the Senate. I'm going to offer a bit of caution on this narrative and say this. Now, we know early voting starts like last year, right? You can start voting for 2022, it seems like, last year. But there are things in place now to try to prohibit some of the shady things, maybe not illegal, uh, but questionable things that happened in the 2020 election. A lot of states have adopted those, and some of these are, are quote-unquote battleground states like Georgia and Florida and other places. They're trying to ensure that the tactics that were used in 2020 may not be used again. Okay, So that's one thing. The other thing is that you know polling data shows that the Democrats are doing better than the Republicans right now, that people are generally siding with the Democrats. Now, I want to go back to 2016. And when I say this, I want to caution you on this. Even in 2020, it looked like in 2016 and 2020, Trump was going to get slaughtered in the election, right? There was no way he was going to win either election. 2016 happens and the Republicans show up because that's generally what the Republicans do. And they knock out Hillary Clinton and the Democrats. Now, we know that Clinton won the popular vote because of California. But everywhere else, places that she should have won, she didn't win. A lot of Democrats didn't show up, but also Republicans showed up. Same thing in 2020. If it wasn't for these voting tactics that now, I mean, people would say, well, it's legal, but is it ethical? It's questionable. These things going on, uh, canvassing and other things. If it wasn't for that, we know that Trump people showed up in 2020 and Trump on the election day trounced Joe Biden. I mean, the Trump people really showed up. They didn't early vote. They didn't mail in vote. Why? Well, because they're actually going to be voting, right? These are the people that show up to vote and they're not just ballot harvesting and everything else. 
So we know that this this Republicans are going to show up, and this polling data never reflects that. In fact, this is why a lot of the polling uh, companies will stop polling about a week before. And generally what we saw with Trump was that right at the end in 2016, he started to take off right at the end. Now, I think that's going to be generally the case in 2022, but I do think that there are some problems for the candidates that Republicans have chosen in 2022, not because they're pro-Trump, not because they're Trump-supported or Trump-endorsed, but because they're just bad candidates. This is because the, the Republican Party, the Grand Old Party, is the Grand Old Stupid Party. They don't really know how to do this stuff. And I'm going to give you a little historical example on this. Not from the Republicans, but going back in the 1830s. 1828, John Quincy Adams wins the presidential election. And, of course, he beats Andrew Jackson in the corrupt bargain. That's what Jackson charged. And for the next four years, Jackson people ran around saying this. This was a corrupt bargain. Henry Clay swung the election to John Quincy Adams. I really won. Okay? So John Quincy Adams was illegitimate. This is, now, we've had this charge of illegitimate president many times in American history, but John Quincy Adams essentially is illegitimate. I really won. But in that time period, in those four years, Martin Van Buren helped organize what has become the modern Democratic Party in New York. And the party started galvanizing around certain techniques like canvassing like slogans, like imagery. They started using these things to be more popular. And so in 1832, Jackson comes in and routes John Quincy Adams. 1836, same thing. Well, what happened? His, his opposition, which became the Whig Party, figured this stuff out too. They figured out how to use campaign slogans and songs and buttons and chants and canvassing and all that kind of stuff. And in 1840... They beat Martin Van Buren, the man that essentially created this stuff in New York in the 1830s. Now, 1840 was a weird year because, of course, in the 1830s, at the end of the 1830s, you had a terrible depression. 1837, panic of 1837 was horrible. And so the economy was in the tank, unemployment was high, the currency was debased. There were some real problems in America, some real financial problems. That should, that should be something that people pay attention to, right? The economy's in the tank, inflation, debased currency, which what that is, unemployment's high. Now, you can say unemployment's really low right now. Well, there's a lot of people that aren't working, right? There's a lot of people that just aren't working. The economy still hasn't recovered. We've got inflation through the roof. You know, the Biden administration is running around saying gas prices down 69 state straight days. It's still up 60%. Everyone that goes to the grocery store knows that you're paying tremendous amounts of money. Your power bill has gone up because they've raised rates. Uh, you know, uh, your water bill goes up because the municipal water authorities raise rates. All this stuff is happening. Everything is going up. And a lot of people can't afford it. This should be the perfect scenario for the Republicans to come in and take back control of Congress. Now, without the presidency, because we have executive government, it's really going to be hard for them to do much of anything because Biden will block almost all of it. I can guarantee you. But the Republicans were hoping to come in and create their own show trials and impeach Joe Biden and do all the things. They were going to make the Hunter Biden story a main story again. They were going to try to take out Hunter Biden. They were going to try to take down the Democrats. They were going to put Democrats on trial. They were going to do all this stuff. But you see, they're not, they don't really have a cohesive message. And they haven't figured out how to be more people ticked than the Democrats. They haven't figured out the patronage game. And they pick very bad candidates. Herschel Walker, for example, in Georgia, is a complete joke. 
And everyone knew it. Herschel Walker can barely put a sentence together. Now, Herschel Walker was a great football player. I mean, so basically what the Republicans are banking on is two things. One, he's black. The other, he's a great football player. So what's going to happen is all these people, all these stupid people in Georgia are going to vote for Herschel Walker because he's a great football player and he's black. Now, let me tell you, black voters in Georgia are a lot smarter than that. I mean, this is, this is, I mean it's, it's kind of silly how they, how they think this way. Black voters in Georgia are not going to vote for Herschel Walker just because he's black. And you haven't really blunted the racism card anyways. Because Democrats are still going to charge it. And no matter who your candidate is, this is what they're going to do. So this is kind of a dumb situation. Republicans are trying to play pander politics. And it doesn't work for them. It won't ever work for them. They had bad candidates in Georgia and Purdue and, and um, uh, Loeffner. They had bad candidates. And uh, you know Raphael Warnock of course, did get a sizable percentage of the, of the black vote in Georgia uh, because he's a Democrat. And black voters in Georgia will show up for black candidates that are Democrats. Stacey Abrams, same thing. Now, I don't think she's going to win in 2020. I just don't see it happening. I think that the Democrats have already moved on from Stacey Abrams. She's a loser. This is what they're kind of... She's got the loser tag now. And I don't think they're really going to, to rally around Stacey Abrams anymore. Though if she won in 2020, maybe so. But I, I just don't think she's going to win. I think she's kind of on the way out. And the she's the fall from grace has been pretty rapid for Stacey Abrams. But you know, black voters in Georgia aren't stupid. They're not going to just go, Oh, Herschel Walker played football and he's black. I'm going to vote for him. It's Herschel Walker. They don't care, right? Herschel Walker's running against Raphael Warnock. So the Republicans hope to blunt the charge of racism if they were running against Warnock with Herschel Walker. But Herschel Walker is an awful candidate. The guy is inarticulate. He, uh, he's not very bright. Um, he, he's, he's got all this baggage in his background that, of course, if you're going to be the party supposedly of you know, moral righteousness, well, that's not going to work with Herschel Walker. So, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things going on here with Herschel Walker. That's the problem with the Republicans. They do this over and over again. Oz in Pennsylvania. Not really even, I mean, from Pennsylvania, right? I mean, this is, the, the, the Republicans had a golden opportunity in Pennsylvania. There's several candidates around the United States where Republicans really had a golden opportunity. But Oz, the guy's a dope, right? He's a, he's a smart doctor, I guess, but uh, he's not very good at running for office. I mean, this is kind of like, ah, let me just go run for Senate, and I think I'll win because of my name recognition. This is what the Republicans are banking on. Dr. Oz is running against you know, Fetterman. Who cares? This is it, right? This is what Republicans have done. It's why they're the stupid party. These are bad, bad candidates. And with bad, bad candidates, you're not going to win elections. It doesn't matter what's going on in Washington, D.C. It doesn't matter what's going on with Joe Biden. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is the quality of your candidates and, of course, the quality of your message. And the Republicans don't even know what kind of message to put out there. They haven't figured out yet what to hone in on. You see, they were going to use inflation. They were going to use the economy. Well, the Democrats are Orwellian, uh, using Orwellian tactics to spin that back in their direction. Uh, and, of course, one of the things that did happen was the Dobbs decision. And this has, this has in some ways, rallied Democrats. I'm not so certain that Republicans aren't going to rally around that either. I think that uh, Republicans could make this a big issue in the states where it matters, right? They could make it a big issue there and make sure that they maintain their majorities. But, you know, Kansas, which was, you know, a red state, 
did vote to keep some of these restrictions um, or vote to keep uh, some of the open open policies uh, in place in Kansas. So uh, they voted to get to, to knock out the restrictions. So it's really interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how this works in the United States with the Dobbs decision. Um, there's There's been some movement towards the left because people are upset with the right and the Supreme Court. I think the Republicans need to be focusing on what they would do to stop, what they would prevent if they were able to control the Congress. They need to paint the Democrats as absolute nutcases, which they are, on several different issues. Now, this is what DeSantis is essentially doing in Florida. He's painting the Democrats as nutcases. And this is the culture war. They need to be running on the culture war to ensure that none of that stuff gets codified by the general government. And also, they need to run on protecting the courts, right? We're going to protect the integrity of the courts. Now, I mean, the Democrats would do the exact same thing if, if the roles were reversed. See, this is the thing. Republicans don't know how to play hardball, and they don't know how to do very well. They're not the Whigs of 1840. They haven't figured this out yet, how to galvanize and how to create a cohesive message that's going to attack the incumbent. This is what Trump was really good at. He was good at pointing out the flaws of the person in power or the person he's running against and honing in on those things and making it important for people, even in his own party. It's why you know, he kept calling Ted Cruz the Canadian, right? I mean, he kept bashing Ted Cruz for this. He's the Canadian. He's, I mean, he can, he can uh, run for prime minister of Canada. Where are the Mounties? You know, this kind of stuff. He just, he found something that he knew was a weakness and he just peppered it and peppered it and peppered it and people people, people gravitated towards that. It galvanized his support. The Republicans don't know what to do. They don't really know how to politic. They don't really know what's going on here. And they've got bad candidates. Now, there was a piece in Britain in a magazine entitled Unheard. It's a British magazine. Park MacDougald. Clowns have captured the GOP. Now, this is an anti-Trump piece in many ways. In other words, it's the clowns are Donald Trump. And the Trump-supported candidates are all clowns. But I think he's on to something here. It's the candidates that are the problem. He says, only a few short months ago, the Democratic Party looked to be doomed. Joe Biden's approval rating was uh, scraping historic lows in the mid-30s. Republicans were building a solid lead on the generic congressional ballot. And story after story detailed how once reliable Democratic constituencies, Hispanics, Asians, millennials, were abandoning the party in droves. As in the 70s, the Democrats had become the party of inflation, urban lawlessness, foreign policy weakness, and elite cultural radicalism, raising Republican hopes that the GOP could sweep Congress in 2022 on the way to presidential victory. Biden looked so dead in the water that the Atlantic began soliciting reader suggestions for Democrats who could replace him in 2024. This is all correct. And see, the thing is, all of these issues are still important. Inflation, urban lawlessness, foreign policy weakness, all this stuff is still important. But what the Republicans haven't figured out how to do is create a cohesive message on these things. People are reacting to it. and They don't like it. But they've become conditioned to say higher gas prices. So when it comes down to three something a gallon, oh, thank you, Joe Biden. Thank you. What they're not seeing is that your chocolate rations have gone down or your, 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 uh, your chocolate rations have gone up when really they went down, but they went back to a higher... I mean, it's it's ridiculous, right? So if you had three pieces of chocolate, you went down to one. If you went to two, oh, thank we got our chocolate rations back. right? It's just ridiculous, but you're still down one, right? So this is the point. You're still paying 60% more for a gallon of gas than you were a, a couple of years ago, right? A year, just a little over a year ago. 
Well, that was then. Today, after the Dobbs decision in late June, a better-than-expected inflation report in July, which is smoke and mirrors, recent Democratic victories in Congress, and a Republican primary season that has seen Trump-backed candidates edging out the, their more conventional rivals, the terrain is looking a lot more favorable for the Democrats. So see, what, what this piece is saying is that if we just had more Liz Cheney's, the, the Republicans would be winning, right? This is, this is the message from the establishment. You get more Liz Cheney's, you win. And the Democrats are more than happy to push that message because they know that Dick Cheney is an awful person. And they can just sit there and bash Dick Cheney once he's in office. If you, if you look at how the Democrats react to George W. Bush and Dick Cheney right now, it's hilarious. Oh, those are the good old days when we had good Republicans. They call these people all kinds of names. And rightfully so. Uh, George W. Bush and Dick Cheney are progressives. So they're awful. But I mean, this is the point. Trump is also a progressive too, but anyways. While the GOP is still expected to take the House in November, the Senate has become a gigantic question mark. As Real Clear, Real Clear Politics election analyst, uh, analyst I'm sorry, Sean, Sean Trendy put it in June, what we were looking at now is a classic battle between an irresistible force and an immovable object. The irresistible force is Biden's unpopularity. The immovable object is the fact that GOP primary voters have reliably opted for weak, unproven, and at times cartoonishly bad Senate candidates to run against Democrats. Faced with one of the most favorable electoral environments in decades, Republicans are finding a way to blow it. Well, of course, because they are the stupid party. Right? This is what it is. And I would say Herschel Walker was the establishment candidate. He's not a, I mean, Trump is backing him, but he's the establishment candidate. This is who the GOP, this is who the party brokers wanted. Again, because they thought this would blunt any attack of racism or anything else if they just have Herschel Walker. Well, I mean, Herschel Walker is a bad candidate compared to Raphael Warnock. I mean, Warnock is going to wipe the floor with him in any kind of debate. Warnock is a much better speaker. Warnock is much more articulate. Warnock is just a much, he, can artic he, he knows how to push a position. He knows how to do things. Warnock is a minister. He's experienced with getting up in front of people and making a case for something. You may disagree with this case, but he knows how to do it. And Herschel Walker doesn't. He knows how to run a football around. This is it. Take Georgia, which on paper should be as reliably Republican, Republican as they come. Although immigration to the metro Atlanta area is steadily shifting the partisan balance in the state, Georgia went for Donald Trump by five points in 2016, and until 2020, it had not elected a Democrat to the Senate since 2000. In the last election, however, college-educated suburban whites moved heavily into the Democratic column, granting a narrow victory to Biden and to two Democratic Senate candidates, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. Still, most observers at the time attributed the blue wave to Trump's personal unpopularity and predicted that Warnock would be one of the most vulnerable Democrats in the Senate in 2020. He should have been, right? Warnock should have gone. But I would say out of those two, Ossoff is actually more vulnerable than Warnock. Warnock, and this is really not understanding Georgia politics, Warnock was more popular than John Ossoff. John Ossoff actually ran on Warnock's coattails. Warnock was capturing kind of that Stacey Abrams vote, and we know that uh, the Democrats were able to do a lot of things in Georgia that were, that were illegal, right? But we can say they're a little shady. So Georgia has tried to clamp down on those things, successfully so. I'm not so certain with those new voting changes if the Democrats can do enough to ensure that they will win in 2020. It's going to be interesting to see. But all this doom and gloom, I think, is a little bit premature, even though I will say that Herschel Walker is a bad candidate. Georgia Republicans were ever selected as their challenger to Warnock, the Trump endorser Herschel Walker. Trump endorsement doesn't matter. Walker was the 
Republican Party, Georgia Republican Party choice. Walker is not a politician. He's a former college football star at the University of Georgia who played professionally for the New Jersey Generals, a Trump-owned team, and a failed competitor to the NFL. But he also played for <laughs> many other... See, he played for the New Jersey Generals. That was Trump's team. And what about the NFL? He played in the NFL. I mean, he was one of the most popular players in the NFL for a long time, right? There was, to be fair, a certain logic behind the choice. College football is what white Southerners have today instead of a religious or a regional identity. I come from a multi-generational Georgia family. I, my mother, my father, my brother, and my grandfather, a majority of my aunts, uncles, and cousins have all received degrees from the University of Georgia. Walker was a god in our household and in many households across the state for his leading role in winning the 1980 College Football National Championship, much in the way that Diego Maradona is still revered in Argentina for the 1986 World Cup. I can't count on both hands the number of dogs named Herschel I have met in my life. And yet, with all due respect to Walker, who has received countless blows to the head over his years as a football player and mixed martial artist, he is likely among the dumbest men to ever run for Senate. And this is true. Right? I mean, I would agree with him. Even to those jaded from watching Biden press conferences, his interviews are remarkable for their incoherence. When asked in March about gun violence, he answered, well, Cain and Abel, you know, and that's the problem we ha that we have. You talked about doing a disinformation. What about getting a department that can look at young men that's looking at women that's looking for at their social media? Now, this is a real quote. Of course, the other day he was just quoted as saying, well, I don't know about environmentalism. What about trees? We got all kinds of trees. Now, again, Walker's from Georgia. If you're not from Georgia, never been there. There are a lot of trees, a lot of pine trees. They're weeds, right? I mean, so he's looking around saying, we got all these pine trees, all these weeds growing around here. What are we worried about trees for? He has cautioned against green energy investments on the theory that when China gets our good air, the bad air has got to move. So it moves over to our good air space. Then now we've got to clean that back up. Amazingly, these quotes sound even worse when you listen to them. I mean, it's, it's true. Uh, but even if Walker did not sound like President Camacho, minus the showmanship, he would still be plagued by a string of scandals. He is admitted to struggling with dis dissociative identity disorder and of having up to 12 different personalities or alters, including one that prompted him to play Russian roulette with a loaded pistol and another that nearly led him to murder a man for failing to deliver a car on time. His ex-wife has accused him of threatening her with knives and of holding a gun to her head, meaning that whoever wins the Georgia Senate seat will have faced domestic violence allegations from their former spouse. Indeed, it's a testament to the strength of Republican feeling in Georgia that Walker is running only two points behind Warnock. It's also telling that he's polling a full five points behind Brian Kemp, the GOP candidate for Georgia governor, right? So this shows the Republican strength. That's what I'm saying. Walker's an awful candidate. But don't count out these polls. People are worried in Georgia. They don't care who the guy is. I think this is part of it. Walker will be a reliable, what I mean by this, a reliable vote for the GOP. He'll vote any way they tell him to vote. This is why they got him. This is what happened with Biden. The party is really in power, and they're just trying to get somebody out there that will vote any way they tell him to do. Walker is the most colorful Republican seeking election in the Senate, but he's not the only one with the problems. Pennsylvania, for instance, should have been a decent opportunity for the GOP. The Democratic nominee, John Fetterman, is another one of those American politicians who can barely talk. He suffered a stroke in May and has rarely appeared in public since. For that and other reasons, he would appear to be a soft target. A radical from the Bernie Sanders wing of the party, Fetterman attempts to project blue-collar authenticity, largely by wearing hoodies, but is in reality something more like a middle-class slummer. He received an MBA from the University of Connecticut and a master's in public policy from Harvard. 
and he subsisted into his 40s on the largest on the largesse of his parents from whom he purchased an industrial style law for one dollar. He's also got what, if you're a Republican, the media might call a racially tinged past. In 2013, Fetterman used a shotgun to detain an unarmed black jogger whom he wrongly suspected of criminal activity in his neighborhood, behavior that in other cases has been charged as the federal crime of kidnapping. Fetterman's Republican opponent, however, is Mamet Oz, another Trump-backed political novice who is known as the celebrity doctor from The Oprah Winfrey Show. While Oz, like all Republicans, has to deal with the hostile media, his big problem is that he's been unable to shake the impression that he's a wealthy carpetbagger with little organic connection to Pennsylvania. Well, this is true. In a much-mocked video highlighted by the Fetterman campaign, Oz, who lived in New Jersey until recently, mispronounces the name of a Pennsylvania grocery chain before complaining that skyrocketing food prices are driving up the price of his wife's, uh, wife's food. And a recent attempt to attack Fetterman for sponging off his parents ended up spiraling into a discussion about whether Oz owned 10 homes or only two. He clarified, two homes, 10 properties. But barely 12 weeks ago until the election, Fetterman has opened up a towering 11.5 point lead over his rival. I mean, now look, Pennsylvania is not necessarily a, a red state. I mean, it's, it's a blue state. And, and if Fetterman is an, a kowtows enough to the labor unions in Pennsylvania, he's going to do a good job in that state. The labor unions are very strong in Pennsylvania. So um, this is not unheard of. Oz, though, is a bad candidate. They needed kind of a, I mean, Oz is not really a populist. They need, what they really needed in Pennsylvania was a real populist to come in. Somebody that's a blue collar kind of guy that, uh, I mean, look, this is, this is Joe Biden. I mean, this is what he, he projected his entire career. That's what they needed in Pennsylvania, but they picked a bad candidate because of name recognition. But the Senate map looks bad for the GOP across the board. In Arizona, Democrat Mark Kelly has opened up a double-digit lead on the Trump and Peter Thiel-backed Blake Masters, who has been hammered for past comments calling abortion demonic. That might have been Republican boilerplate a year ago, meaningless red meat for evangelicals and Catholics. But in a post-Roe world, voters are jumpy about what GOP politicians might do to abortion access once in power. And the other Trump and Thiel candidate, Hillbilly Elegy author and venture capitalist J.D. Vance, is struggling in Ohio. The state went decisively for Trump in both 2016 and 2020, which should be great news for Vance. But polling in that race, while sparse, has tended to show Vance narrowly behind in a close race, and his campaign has struggled to raise money. A Yale-educated populist whose real constituency is among D.C. intellectuals, Vance has had trouble connecting with Ohio voters. He still has a decent, decent shot to pull it out, but Ohio shouldn't even be close. Now, I think the Vance thing is, a, is an aberration. I think Vance will probably win in Ohio. Uh, I don't think Oz is going to win in Pennsylvania. I'm not so certain uh, you know, that uh, Walker is going to lose in Georgia. I think that they could win two of those four pretty easily. But we'll see. Uh, we'll see. A friend who's reported on American politics for decades once told me that parties take a few electoral cycles to get the message the electorate is trying to send them. Democrats weren't convinced to abandon McGovern-style tax-and-spend liberalism until after getting thumped in 80, 84, and 88. Republicans held on to the Bush-era synthesis of religious family values and neoconservative foreign policy through the defeats of 2008 and 2012, abandoning it only after their base decisively rejected it in the 2016 primary. A few months ago, it even looked as if the Democrats might be the ones about to receive the message that their current flavor of elite-driven progressivism was out of step with the country. That outcome is still possible. Biden is only marginally less unpopular than he was earlier in the summer, and reports of his revival carry more than a whiff of wishful thinking. And the Senate map favors the GOP, even if the candidates are weak. Today, however, it's starting to look as if the American electorate 
could be gearing up to deliver a very different sort of message. Trump was defeated in 2020. It seems increasingly likely that his hand-picked candidates could cost Republicans a Senate majority in 2022. And with each new report coming out of Mar-a-Lago, he inches closer to declaring his candidacy for 2024. In a perfect world, it wouldn't take yet another Trump defeat to convince the GOP to move past the man. We're not living in that world, so something tells me that it will. So this is where, you know, the, the suggestion is that Trump is, is getting in the way here. That Trump is the real problem. I'm not so certain about that. I will say this. Trump is an egomaniac, and Trump was only the messenger for a message that was very popular in 1992 when Pat Buchanan gave his, his essentially his culture war speech in 92. It was very popular then. Trump was simply channeling Pat Buchanan. That's all he was doing. The message is still there. What the Republicans haven't figured out is that's what it needs to be across the board. This is what would get Republicans votes in the Senate, in the House, if you were on board with that. The problem is that message, that Pat Buchanan-style conservatism in America, doesn't have enough legwork from the bottom up. You've still got Claremont, even though Claremont is pro-Trump, but you still have all these things out there that are pushing a very different style of conservatism, even if, you know, I, I know that Claremont is you know, kind of, they're, they're saying that they're kind of paleoconservative and this is what they are, but in reality, you can't be, as I've said before, when you're a Lincoln, when you favor Lincoln, you can't be paleoconservative. It's, it's impossible. Okay. Now, you could say that we're nationalists. And Lincoln was a nationalist, and this is what we are, right? We're nationalists. I think, and this is Yoram Hazoni and all of that, this is where the the, the flavor is moving, right? We're nationalists, so we're going to be against the people that weren't nationalists, even though even some of the people they say weren't nationalists, like Calhoun, in fact, in fact were nationalists. It was Lincoln who was not a nationalist. It was, you know, th- th- this whole thing, th- this gets into the weeds, right? But the point is, I don't think any of these candidates really know what they're doing. And that's the real issue. They're bad candidates. And this is because they wanted reliable rubber stamps, that's what Herschel Walker is. That's what Oz really would be. So this is the point. And of course, both men have a name. And that name, of course, would supposedly get votes on their side. I mean, again, Oz, Oprah Winfrey. Well, I mean, he's going to get people that watch Oprah Winfrey to vote. That's, that's, that's Dr. Oz. I'm going to vote for him. Democrats, particularly in particular minority Democrats who they're trying to appeal to, are a lot smarter than that. And this is the sad thing. They don't give people credit than GOP. Anyways, that's what I think is going on here, and we'll see what happens. So I do think that these polling numbers are going to inch back the other way as we get closer. And as things get closer to November, I think by October, you're going to see things coming back the other way. And I haven't, I don't think it's it's done yet. The Republicans aren't going to take the House and the Senate. Uh, I think that's still very much a real possibility. The media is doing everything they can to discourage Republicans, to discourage people from going and voting for Republicans. It's a lost cause now. You're going to lose we're going to maintain things. This is what they're going to do. And uh, they're going to try to keep you at home and keep you from voting, whether you vote for Republicans or not, or whether you think even voting is necessary or not. But you should go out and vote in those local elections. You should go out and vote in those state elections because that those things really do matter uh, at the end of the day. Those are the real issues. So anyways, I'll see you next week on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.